Do you care about supporting small business? I do. Do you care about supporting women in business? Man, I really do. Do you care about excellent customer service? I think it's a dying art and I really, really support it. That's why I support Paco Collars. They hit all of these bases and then some. My dogs wear gorgeous handcrafted leather collars from them and I get to support a company that I really believe in. So if you believe in the same stuff I do, get over to pacocollars.com, order the best dog collar you've ever had with a lifetime guarantee, and don't forget to enter the promo code COGDOG for free shipping. Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of the Cognitive Canine, and this is Cog Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. Hey guys, I have a guest on the podcast today. We have Dr. Leslie Ide. She is a doctor of veterinary medicine from Colorado State University. She's certified in canine rehabilitation by the Canine Rehab Institute. Uh, She's a resident of the American College of Veterinary Sports Medicine and Rehabilitation. She's also my partner in life and dog stuff. She's a teacher for Fenzie Dog Sports Academy, like myself. She also teaches for an online school called Camp Their Canine, based out of Wales, um, and also her own platform, which is called The Total Canine. She keeps busy training my stepchildren, uh, four Border Collies and one Australian Shepherd in dog agility. Welcome to the podcast, Leslie. Is there anything I missed? I'm in Ravenclaw. And she's also (laughs) in House Ravenclaw, like myself. There was so much in there. I did leave that out. Yeah. It's important. So for those that don't know, what is canine rehabilitation? So canine rehabilitation specifically is the practice of medicine, veterinary medicine that is is looking at managing the dog after or any animal actually um after injury illness or surgery and bringing them back to where they were before that happened so it is somewhat equivalent to to human physical therapy there are some differences for sure um, but that's the kind of the best way for people to imagine it is um, if you've ever been to a, a physical therapist, we're doing a lot of the same things, the same types of treatments. And, you know, my listeners would be potentially familiar with this if they had, say, an agility dog that had an injury or maybe had to have surgery. Um and you do work a lot in return to sport kind of programs for agility dogs that get hurt, but you also do a lot of work in geriatrics and just kind of pain management and... Yeah, there's definitely different aspects of it. So, you know, I pretty much just 
only focused on the rehabilitation aspect in that definition, but um, there's also a sports medicine aspect. And I, I really would say that's my passion is the sports medicine. And that's, you know, return to sport after you've done all the rehabilitation or um, maintaining the dog for for sport or, um, you know, really looking at what it takes for them to be able to participate in their chosen sport or work and keeping them healthy and um, ready to go with all of that. And would you say that kind of not all professionals in the field, like people focus in different areas and sports medicine is kind of your special interest area. You really like preparing dogs for sport as well as returning dogs to sport. Yeah, exactly. So kind of like veterinary medicine in general, where there's all kinds of different specialties um, and even general practice vets have things that they really are passionate about, but they Mm -hmm. do everything. I think you can say rehab and sports medicine is similar in that um, you know, there's probably a few big categories. So, you know, rehabilitation being really dealing with the dog after injury, illness, or surgery, and really kind of getting them back to being a functional pet, um, versus sports medicine, which I think of, again, more for the sporting and working dogs and keeping them at the level, um, that they're currently at or helping them return to that level after some kind of injury. Um, But then you can, I mean, even say like pain management is a specialty within rehab and sports medicine as well. There there are definitely rehab vets that all they want to do is focus on pain management, um, especially, you know, like geriatrics like you said or arthritis mm-hmm. um type pain management so and there's definitely a lot of i think advances and just to me that area pain management to me is one of the more interesting areas and i think some some of that has to do with my own medical history but um there's just a night and day difference in pain management between like veterinarian a and veterinarian b like there's there's an enormous um just field of study there so I think that's really important too for people to know yeah especially pain management like you're saying because it is such a new field and growing field um that a lot of um times it does take someone with that special interest in it to keep up to date with all the Mm -hmm. new findings and and new options and so that's kind of um i think right now there's kind of two categories of veterinarians that really um focus on pain management and i would say that's you know the the rehab vets it's definitely part of our curriculum but it also of course anesthesiologists um, right i was gonna say anybody involved in surgery yeah um, on more than just kind of a general practice level, because gen- as we know, general practice vets kind of have to be everything. They're dentists, they're surgeons, they're, you know, and so when you are looking at, I think that's why this field, the growing field of sports medicine and rehabilitation um, is really cool and interesting because it is very much a niche that 
is super important to us um, with mm-hmm. our agility dogs. So I, the reason that you're here today um, is that I talk a lot about consent in dog training, surprise for everyone. Um, and I've been getting questions lately about consent-based rehab for dogs. So it's interesting that these emails are coming in right now. Um, I'm not really sure where it's coming from. And that's just a toy, our, our puppy is, he, he has to do something. So he's <laughs> chewing a toy. So if you hear a squeaky noise, that's what that is. Um, so I'm getting these questions. I'm not sure where it's coming from, but they're coming in. Like I'm getting a couple different queries about this like a week on whether consent um has a place in rehab or how to do rehab in a kind of consensual way so what do you think does consent have a place in what you do definitely um and it's it's a really important consideration in how i do everything um i will say i'm probably somewhat unique in the field not everyone is you know into it as I am um so I would say it's kind of it's a similar role of consent as I think you would see in just general practice veterinary medicine where sometimes you can just everything can be consent and sometimes it just has to happen. Uh-huh. And so that's, you know, an important distinction. And, and every... I think that's true in all husbandry. Like, to right. me, the only place that that's not true is actual sport training. Right. Like, to me, they always need to opt in to sport training or I don't do any training. But with my... I do a lot of cooperative care, but I also train them to accept no-choice moments in their veterinary care. And I actually think it's really important to do. Yeah. So get get specific. Talk about... Um, well, so one thing, kind of like you just said, with sports training, they should always opt in. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that's exactly the same for what I would call conditioning or mm. fitness. Where So we're not dealing with rehab um, or... You know, maybe more dealing with return to sport or um, just trying to keep them, their fitness um, at a good level. You know, if one day they go out and they're like, no, I don't want to do this, you should respect that. You shouldn't be like, but today is leg day. We have to have it. (laughs) Um, You know, I think it's the same for us. There are definitely days where you're just like, I don't want to work out today. And it's okay to take the day off. And so I think we have to respect that with them. Um, Where I look at it with, you know, consent can't really be uh, necessarily accepted is my paralyzed patient. You know, um, if they can't walk, um, you know, it's hard to have uh, you know have them make the choice to get in the underwater treadmill you know in cases like that there is definitely a i am gonna have to pick you up and and put you in in the treadmill or i'm gonna Mm -hmm. have to pick you up and to help you stand to do your exercises and you know definitely you know there are dogs that can say absolutely not i don't want to do it Um, But then you have to have a real heart-to-heart with the owner if Mm. they're saying that because 
the paralyzed dogs kind of almost like that emergency situation of if we don't do this yeah the chances of them getting better goes down because it's a real there's a big difference between conditioning for sport and then trying to help a dog actually just function again in daily life right Yeah. yeah and so like for me kind of the middle ground is your your post-surgical like uh, knee surgery where the dog can definitely consent whether or not they want to be a part of rehab um and honestly if they don't want to be a part of rehab it's not the end of the world um we can give them stuff to do at home Mm -hmm. you know the the surgery is going to heal it just may take longer they may not be quite as good as if they did rehab but it definitely isn't the end of the world if the dog chooses not to do it yeah okay so give me an example of um a you know i'm just thinking of a fitness routine and you know, maybe it involves some like fit pause equipment um, and some reps of something. Like maybe you're doing a, what you would call a workout. What does your like for me? My consent process for that with my dogs just has to do with the reinforcement, like reinforcing off the equipment and then allowing them to choose to reengage the equipment. Is that the same kind of thing for you, or do you look at consent Def- differently for different clients? Yeah, so definitely in that kind of situation. Um, Yes, consent to me is the dog is actively engaging. They are comfortable themselves getting on the equipment. Um, There's no coercion um, or picking them up to get on equipment, that kind of thing. They're willing participants. Again, you know, there's kind of a blurry line with rehab patients. Again, you know, depending on their physical ability we may have to help them out a little bit Mm, more okay um so we may have to be a little bit more hands-on but still trying to get them to do it as much as possible on their own um of their own choice um and so i guess it's a little different like i'm especially in the clinic i'm not going into specifics of like asking them the humans or asking the dog like um like a start button like a start button behavior of like okay you know i'm we're i'm watching their behavior their mannerisms their willingness to work for the food because a lot of these dogs even though they might be agility dogs or they might not don't actually they're not actually trained like, they're not clicker trained. They're not, like, they they may not have any concept that they have a choice right. in this scenario. Yeah. So you are looking for those more subtle engagements from them to mm-hmm. know if they're comfortable or not. I would see, I would think that that would have some value as far as the dog, you not, not making the dog do too many reps. And one of the things that you had talked about um, that I've heard you talk about is let's say you're doing reps of like sit to stand before you get um 
longer latency on that like you ask for the stand and the dog thinks about it before standing like before you even get there you're looking for the form to change so if the form starts to change maybe gets a little bit sloppy maybe they're you know hanging their leg out on the sit or something like that that's when you give them a break rather than waiting for them to full-on quit exactly yeah Yeah. so a lot of times it's up to us or myself and my co-workers to watch how the dog is moving what they look like again those subtle signs and choosing for them that it's time to stop because especially a dog that is really into training um because a lot of i mean like Iggy is starving right? right like she wants the food so she will keep going yeah way past and the fatigue yeah into the dogs it's not they don't see it as exercise right they're just no they see it as tricks and yeah. tricks and stuff and so they'll keep trying things um for the food as long as it's there um and so, yeah, so even those dogs that are totally 100% willing participants, sometimes we have to step in and say, okay, that's enough. We're mm. losing form. We're not actually getting what we want out of it. So it's really important to to pay attention to that um, when, you're, when you're doing the exercises. I think to me kind of, when I first heard this topic, when you first told me, like, everyone wants to talk about consent in, in rehab, um, the first thing that popped into my head was definitely this trend to do a lot of hands-on physical manipulation to the dog mm-hmm. in rehab, and I'm not a fan of that. And what I mean by that is, like... So for me, um, like I will use equipment, like if I need to get the weight shifted to the back legs and then I want the dog to only walk using the back legs, you know, I'm going to use a peanut for that. I'm going to ask them to put their front legs on the peanut and roll the peanut forward Mm -hmm. while they walk versus there are definitely other vets who instead of doing that because they don't want to take the time to make sure the dog is comfortable with the peanut or maybe they don't even have a peanut. I mean, there's lots of different reasons why they may choose to do it differently, but their solution is to just pick up the dog's front legs and then hold the front legs Ooh, and walk, and walk them oh, in man. such a way that, you know, the dogs have to walk along with them. Yeah. And that's, I have a hard time with that in dogs. I don't think that's fair for the dogs. Um, and that's, that's my type of consent. So for me, I may want that exercise. And um, if the dog puts its front paws on the peanut and I start to roll the peanut to ask them to walk with it and they jump off, that may be them telling me they're not ready for that exercise yet. But if I've grabbed their front legs and I'm holding their front legs and making them walk with me, I'm not really giving them that option to say this is too hard. And the only way I'm going to necessarily know it was too hard for them is after the fact when they're really sore and they, you know, maybe limp a little more. As well as, and this is one of the topics that I thought we could maybe touch on. Um, I'm just visualizing these two different ways of kind of trying to achieve the same thing and they don't look the same to me it doesn't look like the dog is doing 
the same thing with their body if you're holding the front legs versus putting the front legs on the peanut. Do you feel like letting them choose and, and kind of teaching them to be a part of the process also gets you better results because they are actually consciously using their body? Yes. So definitely the fact that they have to figure out how to do it themselves. So they're developing um, muscle motor patterns that maybe mm. aren't um, being developed when we're helping them. Um, the other thing I think about it is stress level so if the dog is really stressed out about having their legs held and walked you know you're gonna get different hormone surges that are maybe actually counter productive to what you're trying to do um, and so that's more you know when I talk about this to other veterinarians I actually focus more on that um, you know stress levels and what we know stress in hospital situations does and um, how all of those things are counterproductive to what we're trying to achieve because I can't I have to use a little bit more science to talk to the veterinarians about it than saying the dog's feelings are important so, um, yeah, you, you got to show them the, uh, the kind of scientific reality of it, which yeah. is fair. I, you know, personally fully understand that anxiety and pain are best friends. Yeah. Right. One surges, the other surges, and it can be a vicious cycle. Yeah. So producing anxiety in your rehab patients is just going to make you fight a losing battle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. One of the things um, I also notice a a lot, and this may also be where it's coming from, these questions, is there are quite a few programs out there for veterinarians um, to send home home exercises. And they have pictures or videos of the exercise. um, And you can, you know, it's it's supposed Mm. to be this nice, convenient tool. And I've, I've looked at a couple of them. And... I just can't, I can't use them because none of the dogs look happy. Mm. Everything I see, you know, the dog, just their body language is, is it's not it's like not they're what you upset, for the client. but none of them. And I'm like, every one of my patients looks happier than this. And, you know, yeah. and they're coming into a clinic and, I, you know, I just, I... I want to show examples of the dogs being happy about doing it, you know, having mm-hmm. happier faces and liking what they are doing for their rehab. So, so the underwater treadmill is something that you use really free, pretty frequently. Yeah. And it's something that I've seen a lot of people kind of mention that there's no way they could get their dogs in that willingly and that they would have to force them and that they would hate it and blah, blah, blah. So, what's your way around that where's your where's your choice because i know you put your dogs in the underwater treadmill frequently um if it's not for if it's for conditioning just like the other things we were talking about you want it to be a choice so do you teach choice-based treadmill and where's your where do you draw the line as far as and now i'm going to lead you into the treadmill by the collar and then the door closes behind you and now you're in so number one um I 
Number one, I always, when I'm recommending underwater treadmill, I pretty much always have an option if the dog hates it, okay. doesn't want to get in. Um, it is not, it's a great tool. Is it necessary for it's everything? It's not a vital tool. No. Yeah. Okay. Um, can you do rehab without the underwater treadmill? Yes. I actually, in Colorado, had you did it a forever. great business yeah. without an underwater treadmill because I did mobile rehab and went to people's houses. Mm -hmm. And most of my patients were post-op TPLOs and didn't use an underwater treadmill for any of their rehab. Um, when, when today, since you do have access to it. I use you it put your post-op TPLOs in the treadmill. Yeah, yeah. I, but I don't force them into. Okay. It. Um, and again, kind of that that blurry line of consent. You know, of all the things that I've talked about, you know, paralyzed dogs is probably one of the biggest things I want to use water therapy for. And it is somewhat hard for them to give consent because they can't walk into the treadmill on their own. We do have mm, to pick have to them put up. them in there. So there's, you know, slight differences. But um, for me, uh, I really make it a priority that I want the patients to choose to go in the treadmill and to tolerate it we'll say um i definitely basically have, meaning they're not panicked they're not trying yeah, to escape yeah they might not have joy on their face right but they're eating yeah they're, and they're not panicked yeah that's kind of and your, i will say you know there's a handful of patients that never got to that point and we come up with something else for them but most of them you know that by the end of that first session um, yes, there may not be joy on their face, but they're in there and they're eating, um, and they're walking, you know, they're comfortable doing it. Um, but we also pay attention every single time they come in. We don't just take that as, okay, well, they did it once. Now they can, they should always do it. Sure. You know, so if there's like, you know, fourth or fifth session down the road, Suddenly they're, you know, and they've gotten in the treadmill every single time before. And suddenly now they're like, mm, I don't want to get in. Mm. Then we go do something else. And we may try again. We may say, okay, let's go do exercises. Um, and if they're willing to do that, awesome. And then maybe after we finish exercises, we go back and say, hey, let's try. Do you want to get in the treadmill now? And if they say yes, awesome. We go. If they say no, then we just do don't get else. it that day. Um, for conditioning, obviously, it's very different because they don't need it. It's it's definitely not part of their medical. I mean, we'd all recovery. be kind of screwed if they did need it because, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's funny is there are plenty of people who would actually buy one yeah. in the agility world for their homes. Right. But they're kind of it's expensive. important to state that that's not necessary. Um, they're kind of expensive. They're kind of take a up a lot of space too. Ass to yeah to deal with. They break well, you guys down, have to have right. You guys they, get them repaired all the time. Yeah. You have drains in the floor mm -hmm. for when you need to. You always empty overflow. Them. Yeah, it never fails. Or you open the door when it's not yeah. quite finished. Yeah, 
they're a pain um they yeah they're not fun machines to deal with almost be easier Um, to just get a pool installed uh, for home use for yeah. sure <laughs> yeah 100 <laughs> percent. yeah um because at least then the pool guy when you call and say hey i need you to come fix my pool they're like oh okay when you call them and say i need you to come fix my underwater treadmill they're like i'm not sure i'm the they're right like person. i don't know what that means and it's like no you are the right person just come look at it <laughs> um That's but tough. yeah it's tough you know mix between the having a pool guy and a plumber and can work together to figure it all out um but yeah so for obviously my own dogs or dogs in conditioning um it's a lot easier to go slower and take my time introducing them so you know usually when they're puppies um i have them around while the older dogs are in there so one they just get used to seeing a dog in there and that dog's getting food and they're hanging out getting food as well so they get used to the environment um and then you know they get to hang out when there's not dogs in there and the doors are open and they run through it and they so they're not afraid of like the ramps or Mm -hmm. the doors or the way the the belt on the treadmill feels um and so by the time i'm ready to actually put them in the treadmill and use it as exercise they're already very comfortable with the environment and kind of what's what happened the noise that's a big thing so mm. they're very very noisy and a lot of dogs are fine with that everything the scary part, yeah. until the noise starts and then they're like nope i don't like this and it's just um, kind of a mechanical noise it's, it's not startling but it's loud water because yeah. yeah. the water has to fill and drain yeah. and it's a lot of water um yeah and yeah so it's i'm very lucky in that with the constant access to it it's very easy for my own dogs to get used to it just step by step step by step yeah um i know because i have clients that the dogs are somewhat afraid of it and we have to go slower and i know it can be frustrating that we just spent 30 minutes working with the dog and our biggest success was that they got on the ramp Mm. but we didn't actually get any water time Mm. um and and that can be frustrating when you're paying for that time yeah that's all you got yeah and i think probably if we've got some rehab that's listening that's what they're saying in their head is yeah right like my clients are paying for their dog to be in the treadmill so we got to get them in the treadmill so and what i would say is actually if you properly set them up the way like i was saying we're in their their first appointment i say you know i really would like to do the underwater treadmill but there are things we can do if your dog doesn't like it and i go into like talking to them about your dog has to be a willing participant and we want this to be a good experience for your dog and you know just really talk to them about that they actually appreciate that we're taking our time Mm. and that we're not just throwing the dog in um i think that yes there are a handful of clients out there that are like that where they're just oh just make them do it um 
And those may be the ones that don't come back if the dog won't do it. But I think more often than not, when those people show up and we explain why we want to give the dog the choice, um, they actually start to turn around their thinking and they actually sure. appreciate it more. And it carries over into other aspects of their dog's life of giving their dog choice to do things. Yeah, so just kind of a bigger picture ripple on that too. And I think, you know, rehab clientele is a cut above a lot of general practice clientele too. Like these are already the above and beyond kind of owners if they are going to go to the trouble of rehab. So it's probably not too much to ask, especially if you tell them it's going to be efficient, we're going to get it done, or we're going to move on to something else. Like, mm -hmm. we're not going to spend a six-week package trying to Just get your dog get in, your the dog in the that's treadmill. That's not going to happen. Yeah, And that's one really nice thing with rehab is I have lots of tools. Mm -hmm. And I, it's very easy for me to try something else if a dog yeah. tells me I don't like this. Or to say, okay... They've had enough today. Next time, right. hopefully they'll be they'll start off more comfortable and already familiar with everything, and we'll be able to add it in next time. Yeah, it's like you know, in other forms of veterinary medicine, you don't have those kinds of options. Like you can't. There's pretty much only one way to give a rabies vaccine. Yeah. Right. Like you can't. You got to poke the dog with a needle yeah. to get them vaccinated. And um, while you could be, while you could use less restraint um and try to make it a comfortable experience for them at the end of the day you still have to poke them with a needle whereas in rehab if our goal is you know return the dog to going on his evening walk without limping you have so many different pathways that you can take towards that end goal which yeah. I think is really cool. Yeah. Which is like training, too. It's what I like about behavior work, too, is that as long as we are clear on our end goal and we're both kind of clear on the commitment to the end goal, we can take several different paths to get yeah. there. And that's definitely, I mean, that's part of why I really, I think... Um, love rehab and sports medicine you know obviously i really into dog sports but also so much of it is a behavior component which mm -hmm. was really what my first passion was to even go to vet school was i wanted to do behavior mm -hmm. and now i get to take a lot of my behavior background and apply that in rehab and sports medicine and know that there are multiple different ways to get a dog to do something um and there's multiple different ways um to treat them to get to the goal the end goal and usually consent can be a big part of it yes yeah i would say i'm you know i it's maybe like again like 80 percent of my clients it's the dogs are willing and much, willing participants yeah consent yeah. willing participants with everything 
there's a small handful, like I said, where, um, you know, they're maybe not walking or um, that kind of uh, thing going on where we can't necessarily use all the same standards that we look for in other dogs, um, but we can still try to at least read their um, facial body language um, to, to know whether or not they're okay with what we're doing. Well, let's, I think that you, you answered the questions, the primary questions that were coming in. And I think, you know, if you didn't, it's easy for us to do a follow-up so people can let us know over on the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page. But um, tell us now what you're, what you're working on these days um, and where people can find you. So what projects do you have going on? I mean, pretty much a million projects going on at all times, but um, the big kind of current too, I would say, is um, I do have a class for the August term on Fenzy Dog Sports Academy, and it's called Beyond the Peanut Cavalettis for Fitness, um, and basically it's the a six weeks class just using your cavalettis to do 14 different exercises um and really the purpose behind the class uh for me was twofold one i constantly see people always asking how do i set up the cavalettis to do this um and so i wanted to have you know teach that but then also for me um being the pragmatic person that I am, it always really frustrated me to like buy some piece of equipment and only have one thing to do for it. Totally. So my other thought was like- Or go to the trouble to set it up. Right. And and so I was like, okay, so what what other exercises can you do with this equipment? So there's 14 exercises over the six weeks. Um, And then the other thing I have going on currently is, a membership group called Fitform Lifestyles. And this is um, basically a group, um, it's, it's a six month membership access to blogs and a Facebook group, um, really looking at how I manage my five dogs with a busy schedule um, and different life stages for each of them um and how i how i find time to keep them fit and what i'm doing to keep them fit and different considerations for all of them um because i've got right now everywhere from a five-month-old to a 13-year-old and some are actively competing some are just getting geared up to finally really put all the agility foundation together um so um yeah, so I'm doing that through um, my website, thetotalcanine.net. So if people want to sign up for that, they should go to thetotalcanine.net and yes. click on... Fitform Lifestyles. Is right there in the menu. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Should be in the menu. Great. So, and I have seen that stuff, obviously, <laughs> and so I think it's... Um, interesting and important especially i think people don't fully understand you know how different your approach probably should be based on 
the age of the dog, the stage of comp- competitive career of the dog. You've also got an aging competitor. So like Stig is not anywhere near ready to retire, but he needs adjustments made um, to his kind of routine to stay sound while you keep competing with him. Yeah. Um, and Watson, for you guys that did Puppy Elementary, Watson is part of it. Um, he's how old is Watson? Year and a half. He's a year and a half. Yeah. So Waddy's a year and a half now, and in his agility training, um, so he's definitely in there. And then Wild Child Finnick is five months old, and will be, I'm sure, a huge part of it as yeah. we go. Um, and yeah, the Cavaletti course on Fenzy. So you guys, the registration for that is open right now, and it's FenzyDogSportsAcademy.com. Um, registration class actually starts August 1st so you haven't missed anything yet if you want to go jump in on that gold spots are full yeah gold spots are full there's still plenty of silver spots and of course bronze bronze is unlimited Um, and yeah for those of you you know silver is a great place to jump in and ask questions especially if you feel like you have a dog that might need modifications so I know I have one person who signed up for silver that has a puppy um, mm. because I said specifically some of the exercises might need to be modified for a puppy. So that's a good place. Um, also, if you have a dog maybe recovering from an injury or is older or something like that, silver would be a good spot to be able to ask about modifications. Yeah, silver's um, kind of the in-between level. You don't get a, you know, all the individual attention of a gold student, but you are free to ask questions, and you can post some limited um, video of your own situation. So it's a it's a pretty good deal. I think it's a good one for a class like this, mm-hmm, where all classes, where they where it doesn't necessarily build upon it doesn't itself. build upon itself. Yeah, so really it's all these all. different exercises, and so basically, if you're trying an exer if you're at silver and you're trying an exercise. And it's not working that's the one that you film and you post and you ask leslie about and you can only do that twice so that's you know you watch um your dog kind of go through and you go okay this is one that my dog's struggling with so this is the one i'm going to ask questions on and it works better than a class that's progressive upon itself i think the gold spots work best for those classes but this is 14 different exercises you can do with yeah and it's also something like saying silvers can ask questions as long as they're generalized generalized mm-hmm. constant which, questions it's just two, yeah, only two, two videos, videos but for like, your so, situation yeah so i had a silver student last time that just asked phenomenal questions um the entire course and it was really really good um and so it is a nice course for silvers to be able to ask general questions like if I had a puppy yeah. at six months old, how would I modify, would I modify this, this? Ex- this exercise? Right. So, yeah, and um, the quality certainly of gold and silver students is something that affects your course always. Um, it doesn't affect the material that you post, but if you're going to be an active bronze student that's following along, it affects your experience, and the quality of your gold spots is pretty high. Yeah. It's pretty pretty good group of gold students in there. So, um, all right, you mentioned your website, which is the net. But can people follow you on social media as well? Yeah, I'm on Facebook, 
and Instagram. That's probably my two most active, although technically I'm on Twitter as well. Um, so Facebook, um, same thing. It's, it's the same. Canine. It's the total canine. Instagram's different because it's actually the letter K and the number nine. At, and isn't it just total total canines? Ooh, I think it's canines. Canines. I think you're correct. Because you think I tagged you in something yeah, today. Yeah, because I think um, total canine was taken. So it's, yes, it's total So it's total K9S yes. on Instagram. Way to make it complicated. Yeah. Okay. All right. It is linked to Facebook. It, so if you find it on, find me on okay. Facebook, you can probably find me on Instagram. Probably. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Leslie, for talking to us about this. Everybody, if you still have questions for Leslie, get over on uh, the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page and post them there. If there are enough of them, we'll do a follow-up. Um, and if not, Leslie or I will just kind of jump in and answer them. Thanks for listening to Cog Dog Radio. If you have questions or suggestions, shoot them over to cogdogradio at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like the Cogdog Radio Facebook page, and until next time, happy training!